Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back, one and all, to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Eras. I'm joined, as always, by Nathan Oblak and Dr. Joe Boot. It's good to be together again, guys. I've been uh, been enjoying this series on reformational philosophy so far. It's a, it's a pretty young series, and I'm excited to uh, to dig into this further and further every time. Before we begin, I just want to uh, turn it over to Nate. He's got a couple of announcements and housekeeping items. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. We've got a, a bunch of things coming up here at the Ezra Institute, but the next uh, event we have planned is the Niagara Declaration Conference on November 15th. Uh, that will be held here at our study center in Grimsby, Ontario. And the theme for the conference this year is the church, the state, and the future of liberty. And uh, tickets are unfortunately already sold out for that event. They sold out very quickly. People are really hungry to be informed on these issues. Mm. And we're very thankful to have the opportunity to speak uh, to a large, uh, enthusiastic audience. But uh, if you are still hoping to get into the conference and you are a church ministry leader, we still do have spots available in our Church and Culture Colloquium, which is a week-long residential training program, uh, also held here at the Ezra Institute. And uh, if you're registered for that colloquium, uh, which is November 15th to the 19th, you also gain access uh, to the Niagara Declaration Conference as part of the program. And the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into today's conversation is that this podcast is, as of right now, uh, also available on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. So you can continue to listen to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us right now. But if you head over or download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app, you can listen to us there as well. So we um, are delighted to join uh, the Fight, Laugh, Feast network mm-hmm. and some of our friends that are already on the network, uh, like Aaron Rock and Nate Wright, and of course, uh, Gabe Knox and, and Toby over at CrossPolitik, and uh, the many others on the network that are, are laboring for the kingdom. So again, you can find our podcast where you've been listening uh, up to now, but you can also download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app and listen to us there. Nice. nice. Quick question on that. Sure. Uh, so with regard to the conference uh, being sold out, mm-hmm. is there going to be a way where our listeners might be able to access any of that even though they can't get tickets? Ryan, I believe you might have a thought on that. <laughs> big uh, big news coming. Uh, That's all you're going to give us? <laughs> short, short answer, yes. Uh, long answer, stay tuned. Uh, we're, uh, we're working on uh, a... Uh, a brand new uh, service or offering that uh, that we'll be unveiling in the next couple of weeks, and we'll be we'll be really excited to uh, to tell everyone more about that. Right, and that's a lot- just tantalizing. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people have been asking about a live stream, and it it doesn't look like we're going to have a live stream going for the conference. But like Ryan had mentioned, all those lectures um, will be put into this this portal that we're currently developing. And I know a lot of people are really interested to hear from folks like uh, Dr. Aaron Rock and, and Pastor Tim Stevens to hear what they say uh, in the right. midst of everything going on right now. That's right. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're, we've been working on developing a project. We're going to talk more about that in the upcoming weeks. And for those of you who will be at the conference or at the colloquium, uh, we'll, uh, we'll say something to you particularly when, uh, when you're here. When is this portal going to be something like Stargate, <laughs> like that, like that spinning circle that if you go through that portal, you sort of emerge I, in another I, I knew dimension. you'd get fixated on the word <laughs> portal. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that coming. No, it's, uh, no, it's exactly like, uh, kind of like when, when the warp core engages. Awesome. <laughs> Folding space. You know that Nathan, right? Uh, warp, warp, no, never mind. Yeah. Wrinkle Too time. nerdy for me yep. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Lots, uh, lots coming on that uh, on that front. And also, don't uh, don't sign up for the colloquium and then back out and play us for chumps. Uh, if uh, if you would, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. an important note. Yeah. Okay, where were we? All right, back reformational to, thought. Back to reformational thought, Joe. Um, 
what I what I wanted to do to uh, to kick off this episode is pick up a couple of threads that we left at uh, at the end of the last episode, where you talked about the value and the uniqueness of reformational thought, reformational thinking, or you know to uh, to be a bit more technical, reformational philosophy, and the goal of thinking Christianly, thinking in a a coherent, full-orbed Christian way. Mm. What we skipped right over, and I hope we could get back to, is the question of what is philosophy? Mm -hmm. So we've got a special kind of philosophy that uh, that Mm. you've been uh, explaining and advocating. Can you Mm. uh, take a step back and tell us about about philosophy itself? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things I mentioned in our uh, first or second episode on this is that one of the reasons we are interested in this and, and should be interested in it as Christians um, is that we we said that philosophy is a kind of prophecy. Right. Uh, we're not saying it's revelation from God, uh, and we're not saying that um, uh, all of our um, prophecies, uh, you know, are identical in character, as you, uh, if you like to scriptural prophecy, far from it. Uh, but what we are saying is that um, when we have a, um, a right understanding of a Christian philosophy of life, we're actually able to see what's going on in the world, understand it, and then even make predictions about where a particular trend or a particular action or a particular um, instance is going. Um, in particular, mm. we talked a little bit about the current cultural situation and and why were we as an institute able to make certain um, uh, predictions that have largely come to pass about the direction of things. And that wasn't because we've got a Palanthea here and uh, along with Saraman are looking in some uh, special uh, crystal ball. Um, But we have a Christian understanding of reality um, that enables us uh, resting in the word of God to, 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 to look forward to be, to be man of Issachar. So before we sort of dip into that, issue of philosophy, we want to make sure that our listeners stay with us. Because if if you're thinking, oh, I'm in the car or um, I'm in the kitchen right now and doing this or that, and I, and I was mm. hoping for a current affairs uh, discussion here, and, you know, am I going to be bored to tears with a discussion about philosophy? No. There's not going to be a quiz at the end, right? There's no exam. There's no quiz. And this is fundamentally about how we all learn to identify and understand what's going on in culture and understand the times and respond to it uh, scripturally. So one of the interesting things um, is that um, for, for most of history, for the vast majority of history, um, Christians have not believed that a distinctly Christian philosophy was actually possible. Uh, and that's why our claim is that the reformational approach um, is unique. What what most Christians have thought about in the past is identifying a philosophy that's compatible with Christianity, that doesn't contradict it. But the notion that there could be a Christian philosophy, a distinctly Christian philosophy, any more than there could be a Christian biology or a Christian historiography or a Christian mathematics was thought to be um, a bizarre thought. Hmm. Philosophy had, was was in its initial form, as we at least have come to understand it, developed out of the, the thought of the ancient Greeks who were pagans. And so we've tended to think that, you know, philosophy is either a secular alternative to theology, or it's a sort of dangerous discipline over here that we that if those who are interested in that kind of thing need to make sure that they don't adopt something that's incompatible with Christian doctrine. But the notion that there could be a robustly and distinctly Christian philosophy has not really been uh, something that Christians have historically accepted. So generally, we tend to say, well, you can be a Christian and a philosopher. You can be a Christian and a biologist. You can be a Christian and a and, and, a, and a, an expert in the law. You can be a Christian and an economist, but there is no Christian economics, Christian philosophy, Christian biology, etc., and of course, our claim as an institute has always been, and people have been listening to us who are listening to this now probably for a long time, know that no, thinking Christianly means there's a Christian view of everything. That's right. And uh, that takes us to the heart of the question of what um, philosophy actually is. What is philosophy? So 
Um, I think we mentioned in a previous episode that uh, you've got a coming together of two Greek words, philo, love, Sophia, wisdom. And in a very general sense, it's about wisdom. It's about understanding the world and how to to, to live in it. I think um, too much weight was placed on philosophy by the ancient Greeks because, of course, they weren't uh, reading the scriptures. So the notion that, you know, philosophy is there to give you basically a path of life, a way to live, um, is not something that the Christian would accept. The, 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 uh, we walk and live in terms of the fullness of the word of God. What philosophy is fundamentally interested in is uh, how all the various aspects of reality that we experience as human beings hang together in the broadest sense. How does all of reality um, hang together? In, in a certain sense, it's a kind of uh, a view or a theory about how the various aspects of our experience in reality relate to one another and hang together. And um, there are a couple of sort of technical terms that uh, philosophers use um, uh, that needn't be daunting to anybody. Um, <clears throat> The, the question about how the experience of uh, our experience of the various functions of reality of of being of uh, hang together is sometimes called ontology a more sort of um uh, typical expression for that is metaphysics mm-hmm. metaphysics and there's nothing mysterious about metaphysics either it sounds mm-hmm. like ooh that's deep that's, yeah. but actually it was purely came about because um the nephews of aristotle in trying to order his works when they were uh, writing them out, ordering them, um, was there was the uh, a book on physics, yeah. and there was a, then there was a book on what we would today call, you know, ontology, you know, theory about being, and they didn't know what to call it, so they just called it metaphysics. It means it, what comes after physics. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's literally all it means. Yeah, and that's not after physics in some, you know, es- esoteric sense. That's like. Page 12, physics ends. Page 13, this one Precisely. Yeah. Exactly that. So it, there's no sort of um, philosophical, cosmological order there right. at all. It's just that's how we got the word. And generally, philosophy is broken down into um, two primary disciplines. Um, ontology, how all being hangs together, and epistemology, which again, another Greek word, is out about knowledge, how yeah. we know about these aspects of reality. So how the aspects of reality hang together, how we know about them. Now, this is probably a good moment mm. to um, give like a, a thousand foot view then of what we mean when we talk about aspects or functions um, uh, or properties mm-hmm. um, of reality. Um, because actually what's important, especially for a Christian philosophy is that what is most important is everyday experience. Mm-hmm. The Christian doesn't turn everyday, ordinary experience that your that our listeners are having right now, whether they're resting at home or working in the kitchen or driving in their car, they're embedded in the totality, the total structure of reality. And they're not probably right now abstracting the lifting out, that means, mm-hmm. um, the... Uh, logical aspect mm-hmm. or the historical aspect of their experience of driving back from work. Not consciously. Um, not consciously, right. not self-consciously, right. lifting it out and right. saying, well, I'm going to reflect now on that. No, we experience reality as a whole, as mm-hmm. fully integrated. And um, that's what we might call, let's give it a technical term, just our general experience of life day to day, even as we, you know, think about our day and um, we ask our kids what they've been doing today is what we might call pre-theoretical experience that's that it's before we're theorizing about reality we're just living in reality we're experiencing it and um, a theoretical view of reality is when we might pause to say to ourselves um, i want to analyze a particular function or experience within reality in its relationship uh, to the rest of reality, and that might be what we call theoretical thought. But uh, philosophy, fundamentally, all philosophy, ultimately, has to rest on normal, everyday, pre-theoretical 
experience. Mm -hmm. Before we're doing theories, before we're doing technical things, we're in ordinary, everyday experience. And some of our listeners might be uh, familiar with the term presuppositional. Would those be mm -hmm. related, thinking of presuppositional apologetics? How, how do those relate? Well, presuppositions are, are more to do with uh, what we're going to come on to in a minute, which mm -hmm. is our r religious worldview. So what are the things that we are, um, when, we, when we think more theoretically, mm -hmm. What are we presupposing as we think about theories of reality, about worldviews, and so on? Whereas pre-theoretical experience is just saying before we do any of that theoretical work, our everyday, ordinary experience really matters. And so philosophy, to sort of demystify it, is only really about reflection on our everyday, ordinary experience of the real world. Tragically, non-Christian philosophy often tries to make normal everyday experience a philosophical problem uh actually mm. problems arise only when we do the theoretical thought when we do the abstracting that's why a lot of people think that philosophy is just irrelevant who's who cares <laughs> i'm not interested yeah because uh, i think uh, what's that got to do with me buying lunch paying for my kids education getting to work and so on so they think well it's not really relevant to me um uh whereas in fact it really is absolutely relevant because a a, uh, a Christian philosophy isn't making a, a philosophical problem of our everyday experience. It identifies why when human beings begin to think theoretically and critically about the world, they run into all kinds of problems that they think that are, most of which are non-problems, but which they have made into problems because of their starting points, mm -hmm. their presuppositions, their religious starting right. points. So very quickly, when we talk about aspects or functions or um, properties of reality, what we can do is we can simply look at what human beings down through the centuries have, I, have essentially identified as distinct areas of study, mm -hmm. of distinct mm -hmm. areas of experience that need to be studied. Now, in Reformational philosophy, um, Hermann Doiverd uh, sought to summarize these, and he... Uh, talked fundamentally about 15 aspects or functions, the things in which all things function, 15 aspects in which we as human beings, for example, function uh, and have made into dis distinct disciplines, most of which our children are studying in school uh, or we go on to study at university. The first one would be the quantitative function or the... Um, the 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 arithmetical. arithmetical function where and and of course the discipline that studies quantity one and many you know the, simply the question how many when you bear when you pair everything back to its most uh, fundamental uh, basic uh, things that we can say about anything we get back to quantity uh, one and many uh, we study that in mathematics. Mm -hmm. Then there's the spatial aspect. So that has to do with extension. The fact that this table we're sat around has extension, has a continuous extension. And we, we study the spatial aspect in geometry. Then there's the, uh, the kinematic aspect of our experience, which just has to do with motion. Uh, we notice that things move. Uh, the, the, the earth is turning. The, mm -hmm. the sun appears to be making a a, a, a circuit around the earth as we watch the sunrise and the sunset people move things move so you've got this idea of uniform motion then there's the physical function or aspect um, of our experience uh, which has actually fundamentally to do with the operation of energy uh, when you you pair back what is fundamentally physical then there's the the biotic this we're much more um, familiar with uh, life um, not everything that is, is alive. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly enough, living things are made up of dead things. I mean, nobody would say that atoms are alive or um, uh, molecules are alive, mm -hmm. but somehow when they're arranged in a certain way, uh, when uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, in a given fashion, um, they constitute part of uh, life. So we, we study that in biology, uh, the, the biotic aspect. And then there's the sensitive aspect. So our feelings, um, our perceptions, um, our perception of pain, for example, but also our emotional uh, feelings. So human beings in particular um, are subject to this 
the, this uh, these laws with respect to feeling. So there's the feeling aspect. There is the logical aspect of our experience. So today on this program, we're at, we're distinguishing, we're analyzing, and whenever you do uh, analysis, you're distinguishing certain things. That's the logical aspect of our experience. Then there's the formative cultural aspect of human experience as well. That's really about formative power. Not everything that happens uh, in life, not everything that happens to you today or to me today is historical in the sense that somebody's going to note it down in their history book. Um, you know, Ryan's drinking a cup of something right now. Is it coffee? Um, for all you know. For all I know. <laughs> it's not historical. I mean, it, that, that in itself isn't history. So there's this mm. historical aspect of our experience. There's the sign mode of experience or the lingual aspect. That is signification. So as we do this podcast, we are making some notes. We're scribbling with a, with a, with a, with a pen or a pencil. There's language. And we're using language. So there's the sign mode. We use noises, sounds, uh, indicators in ink to identify meaning, signification. Um, there's the economic aspect. So uh, everything, even our time here, even just the time that we're taking to sit down to do this podcast mm -hmm. and the time that somebody may be taking to listen to it right now has an economic cost because you could be doing something else with your time. Um, there's a cost to the Institute to have Ryan here sipping coffee. Uh, asking intelligent questions. I don't know why, uh, but uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's an economic aspect to that, right? So there's certainly a cost to that. Yeah. <laughs> we should do a cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> um, maybe we should do that on me too. Uh, th there's there's an aesthetic aspect. Oh man, we're as all going to well. get raises. <laughs> I see a big pay rise coming yeah. ahead from the board. Uh, there's an aesthetic aspect to our experience too. So as we do this podcast for example we're in a wood paneled room we call it the knock cellar um it's a beautiful room the, the woods are, are quite stunning the window is placed marvelously so we've got a lovely view over the over the grounds uh and somebody took the time and effort and money to arrange this aesthetic in an aesthetically pleasing way there's the jural aspect of our experience that has to do with retribution or tribution so justice we we have a we have a a sense as human beings that some things are just and some things are unjust some things in the aesthetic aspect are beautiful or they're ugly um, some things in the economic aspect of our experience are uh, inexpensive or expensive frugal or not in the way that we live then there's the ethical or moral aspect so human beings have a sense that certain things are right and certain things are wrong and we're angry about things that are wrong and we want to see those rectified so at the heart of that is that the sense that we have that we are obligated to to um, love other people in the sense that we're supposed to have regard for their needs uh, their concerns their feelings and so on and then finally there's the certitudinal aspect of our lives or the or the faith aspect or um, i think doyverd would have said the pistical aspect um which has to these things have to do with our sense of certainty the thing that the things that we're most certain about aren't actually theories they're our most deeply held beliefs mm -hmm. the things that we are most certain about so there you've got um uh 15 aspects you the physical is studied um in physics the biotic in biology, um, the feeling or sensitive aspect in things like psychology, uh, the logical is the discipline of logic and philosophy, of course, the formative cultural is history, uh, the sign, the lingual is languages, the economic economics, the jural, we study jurisprudence, ethics, moral philosophy, uh, and, and religion, of course, and the certitudinal, which is fundamentally about uh, faith. Hmm. And so... Those would be, even if you look at the university, um, did we miss one here? Uh, yes, I did. I think I missed the social. Um, mm -hmm. I beg your pardon. I, I skipped over the social aspect there as well. So there's the. They've eliminated that over the past uh, two years, though, haven't they? Anti social Anyways, yeah. distancing, yeah, you mean? That's right. Well, there's a very good instance, actually, of the social aspect. So mm -hmm. as we sit in here, there's the three of us. Um, we are. Uh, talking to one another. We arrange the chairs in such a fashion that, you know, Nathan's not looking out that way and Ryan over there with our backs to one another. They're arranged around a table with a primarily social function. Yeah. We're having a conversation together. Granted, in this episode, I'm doing probably a bit too much talking. 
uh, but there's social interaction. So there's the social aspect, and we study that in sociology. So there you have 15 sort of functions mm-hmm. um, or aspects of human experience that that on an everyday uh, day-to-day experience of our lives, as you get up and as you interact with your family, as you head out to work or you're looking after the children or whatever it is, you're not lifting these out typically to mm. analyze them. You experience right. them all as a whole, yep. as a as a total yep. unity. And it's not philosophically troublesome that you experience them as a total unity. Uh, what we do, though, in theoretical thought, and as we start to think about the meaning of philosophy, is we start to analyze, we start to separate, identify these different aspects, separate them out, and then in in uh, uh, theoretical thought, we're then lifting them out to analyze them. And what philosophy is fundamentally asking, unlike physics, which is looking at the physical aspect or the, uh, or the historian who's looking at the historical aspect or the sociologist who's looking at the social aspect in particular, looking trying to look at all of reality through one of those functions. So the physicist is trying to look at the totality of reality from the physical side. Right. If you imagine like a, a stone with cut in 15 sides, the physicist is trying to look at all of reality through the physical aspect, the sociologist through the social aspect and so on. The medical officers of health looking at all of life from the biological aspect. Only. Exactly. Yeah. Which and, we've commented on. <clears throat> yeah. And and that's why, and you know, as over the weeks we're going to come to this, why it's so critical that we have a right view mm. of how these hang together. Now, right. that's what yeah. philosophy is dealing with. Right. Philosophy isn't dealing in detail with physics or biology or in, in their details. It's dealing with how all of these functions and aspects of reality hang together. Um, and that really is the, that's the discipline of, of philosophy. Let me give you this illustration because I think this is helpful. If you think about a necklace, this was an illustration that Cornelius Van Til used. He's a was a, a Christian apologist uh, when he was thinking about factuality and human experience. It's like be- beads on a necklace. So if you think about those functions we've just talked about as beads, philosophy is asking, what is the thread? What is the 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 chain? Uh, what is the string, if you will, that holds all of these uh, beads? together what's the necklace what is it that's most basic about reality that characterizes a thing um and so philosophy is trying to have that synoptic view if you will what what holds all of these together now philosophy from Mm -hmm. ancient times right through to the present that's not christian not distinctly christian has basically picked one of the beads Mm. and identified it as the string or it's or it's identified one or more of the beads and said and said those beads one aspect of that diversity of experience of functions one or more of those beads can function as the string will be the thing the function uh the property that we identify that makes everything else hang together that explains mm. everything else that is the origin of everything else um and so one of these beads, one or more in combination, will be the explainer for all of the rest. So that's what philosophy is doing. It says, how do these beads, how do these aspects all hang together? And what's the explainer? Hmm. What's the thing that, uh, that, uh, that allows them all to hang together? And actually, theories are made within all of these different aspects. People have biological theories and physical theories and historical theories and so on. So there's theories within those aspects but then there's theories about how all the aspects hang uh, together and how we, the, the, the conclusions we reach in all of those different aspects about history, about physics, about logic, about all these different aspects will be informed by what we believe fundamentally about how they relate to one another, how they all hang together. So that, Ryan, is what we mean fundamentally and what generally historically has been meant by philosophy. Mm-hmm. I know that we can talk about a philosophy today of almost anything, skateboarding, your philosophy mm-hmm. of, uh, of exercise, <laughs> your philosophy of diet and all of that. But fundamentally, that, that's a kind of popular coffee table use of the word philosophy. Philosophy historically has meant 
that big picture synoptic view. Mm. Right. I, I think one uh, objection that some people might have uh, at this point in the conversation is, okay, yeah, uh, this sounds important. I could see how this is important to the Christian, but it's certainly not as important as theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how you would respond to that, Joe. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and it is actually immediately relevant, although I think that we will probably need to have an episode on the relationship of theology and philosophy, but it's good to touch on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, when, we, when we considered those 15 aspects of, of, of human experience, those fu- 15 functions, uh, the last one I mentioned um, uh, prior to recapping on the social, which I skipped over accidentally, uh, was the certitudinal or the pistical aspect the faith aspect of human experience. Now, uh, what we would say in response is that theology is one of the sciences. That is, it's one of the disciplines that is studying an aspect of human experience. Theology isn't looking at the whole in the sense of how all of these different aspects hang together. What it's fundamentally examining is the faith life the confessional life, uh, the um, liturgical life, the practices, the texts, the, uh, the the fundamentals of, in of course the case of the Christian, biblical or Christian theology. Um, the theologian is not primarily asking how the sociological, historical, uh, physical, uh, the arithmetical or... or uh, um, quantitative uh, and lingual modes hang together. Uh, Theology is about, actually it's, in some respects, the word theology is a bit misleading because it isn't the study of God. Mm. You can't put God, I mean, I can study uh, a human cell under a microscope, but, but you can't study God in the sense that he is not directly accessible to the human microscope or the implements of theoretical um, uh, reasoning yeah. in which we build theories. We know God by revelation. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we know God as Christians through the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and in and through his word. And also as he has revealed certain things about his character and nature, the Bible says through what has been made. So we can discern certain things about the living God through his um his revelation of himself in things, in creation, in the Bible, which is for us also a, a thing. I mean, I pick up my Bible, I turn the pages, mm-hmm. um, and of course, uh, by um, uh, the confessions of the church. Now, let's be careful. Here's another really important distinction to make, right, which is um, theology is not a replacement for my personal walk with the knowledge of God. Um, theology and revelation can't be collapsed into one another. That's really important uh, th- because there are bad theologians. There are people who write bad theologies. There are people who get their theology wrong. So theology... There are, there are unbelieving theologians. There are right. plenty right. Mm-hmm. of actually uh, atheistic yeah. mm-hmm. uh, theologians. So um, when we talk about theology, we're not talking about our our faith walk our 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 a our personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not even talking about revelation itself. We're talking about human reflection on revelation. That's what theology is doing. Theology and is this related to last last week on the podcast? You talked about our response ability to God's yes law word. So as we respond in faith in obedience to God's revelation. Um, and we um, and we we live out the Christian life. One of the things that we're actually uh, requ- charged to do in that sense is to um, reflect on and organize those beliefs. And so theology is a human. It's not the theology isn't identical with the scriptural revelation. It's the human activity of organizing that revelation and organizing our confessions and studying that revelation and our confessions. And therefore, you have various subdivisions within theology. You've got pastoral theology. You've got systematic theology. You've got biblical theology. You've got historical theology. These are all subdivisions within essentially a scientific discipline. 
because we're using the word science now more generally to mean field of study as opposed to simply what we might think of as the hard sciences, you know, mathematics, physics, and biology, and so on, chemistry. We're talking about fields of study. So theology is is reflecting on the pistical aspect, the certitudinal aspect, our most fundamental beliefs that are given by revelation. In the Christian view, they're given by revelation. Uh, theology is reflecting on that. So theology is not does not have the function of philosophy. Uh, uh, philosophy is considering in light of revelation, don't forget, from a Christian standpoint, all of these disciplines, from a biblical point of view, have access to revelation, not just theology. The mathematician has access to God's revelation. The historian has access to God's revelation. The uh, sociologist has access to God's revelation. The philosopher has access to God's revelation in his word, in Christ, and in creation. But the philosopher is asking, as we think about a Christian philosophy of life, not just how do we reflect on the confessions of the church, how do we do scriptural theology, but how do all the aspects of human experience hang together? Mm -hmm. So we can go into greater detail in that for Mm -hmm. another session, but that is a really important point, is that theology doesn't step in and replace philosophy. In fact, your philosophy is going to inform, like any other field, how you do theology. Mm-hmm. Your philosophy of how everything hangs together is going to determine whether you're an unbelieving theologian or a believing theologian, a faithful theologian or an apostate theologian. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, philosophy is the totality science uh, that, um, that is looking at how all of these other disciplines uh, hang, hang together. Mm. And just to... Uh help myself uh, earth this. I was just thinking as you were talking, we make these kind of, or we presume upon these uh, different modes or aspects of reality all the time mm-hmm. in our, uh, in our decision-making for all kinds of, uh, all kinds of reasons. And I was just thinking that in the past year, year and a half, two years, churches and believers have had to, to sort of weigh out and measure, if you go back to those pearls on a necklace, uh, which, uh, which one we're going to feature or highlight at right. the, at the center there. Right. Are, you know, we're going to weigh the, uh, the pistical aspect of gathering together to, for, for worship over it against economic and jural aspects and make those, uh, I guess what you might call a cost benefit analysis or yeah. which, which of these is going to take priority. Yeah, and that that's determined um, in, in in every any given circumstance by our world and life view. Right. And so, for us, of course, and we'll come back to this in a moment. The the the, the thread, the string that holds all of these beads together. In fact, Scripture makes it plain: in Him, in Christ, mm-hmm. all things hold together. Colossians one: all things consist. Yeah. So, uh, behind all of these. Um, uh, beyond all of these functions, properties of created reality is the living God who sustains and holds all things together in and through uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think when it comes to the practical reality of what you're talking about, the Christian is going to have a different response to the uh, unbeliever um, about how um, how much of reality we're going to try and explain through the biotic aspect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much we're going to try and identify human well-being with one of these functions within reality. Um, they have to be kept in a in in right relationship one to the other, and we're going to, in, in weeks that follow, talk about the relationship between them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's critical in terms of what you're talking about is that everything has to be seen in the light of Christ. And I think the great concern that I have had over the past 18 months with what's going on is we've actually looked at the bead of the biotic aspect and a virus and how it functions. And the focus has been so myopic yeah. on, on lifting out that aspect yeah. that the social, human interaction, the economic, the yeah. cost-benefit analysis, the pistical, the, 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 the keeping people away from their, their worship um, and their uh, and their liturgy um, and that that whole certitudinal area. In fact, in certain respect, that we'll come to this another time. That that faith aspect is the boundary function that really informs the rest. Um, and so we've seen this very myopic focus on 
um, the uh, biotic aspect of life, people have almost completely lost sight of all the other elements, mm-hmm. uh, all the other facets of life that are equally important. And, and they simply cannot be reduced. The human person cannot be reduced to their biotic functions. And therefore, the well-being of the human being uh, cannot be reduced to it. And so this kind of, um, we touched on it, I think, in our first session when we talked a bit about reductionism. This, is, right. wh- this is where the reduction comes in, where there is the mistake, um, and we'll, we'll perhaps unpack this a little bit now as we talk about theories, but where one is identified too closely with the, with the string. One bead is identified right. with the string, and suddenly you then have a, uh, have a, a, a seriously defective view of reality starts to distort your theories and in this case you're talking about ryan distorts your view of human health human well-being the well-being of society and um and then people suffer people always suffer with non-christian philosophy Hmm. i'm just thinking back to uh when you described the biological aspect and how you mentioned if you drill down deep enough you get to the atom which is not even alive Mm-hmm. So you could see how foolish it would be to root right. all thought in that one particular aspect. Yeah, absolutely right. And that, that's part of the hard work, what we might call the spade work of mm-hmm. Christian philosophy, is sort of digging down into those things and seeing where you actually end up. Right. Joe, you've, you've just mentioned the uh, in this, uh, this uh, hierarchy of aspects, the, uh, the faith aspect, the certitudinal aspect. When you, when you mentioned it, you mentioned that... Uh, this is not a realm for theories. Can you say more about that? Can you talk about what a theory is? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in in um, in in Reformational thought, um, the faith aspect of our lives has a kind of unique um, uh, and role. We might call it a boundary function of our lives because it's that aspect, that certitudinal aspect of our lives, is the bit of us which is really opening itself up it opens itself up, it discloses itself in terms of relationship with God. Um, and, uh, and therefore it has a, it has a peculiar role in, in, in shaping, um, how we think about many of the other aspects, what we think is absolutely certain in life, fundamentally that religious root of our lives. Um, faith is related to that religious root. And so, um, it has a unique function there, but you ask a very, very good question about, what do we really mean when we're talking about theory? That that somehow, um, how you what you believe about these functions and the, and the string uh, affects theories. How does that affect atomic theory and uh, theories in math and so on and so forth? And mm-hmm. so it might be a good idea just to very simply uh, uh, illustrate, talk about what theory is. So fundamentally, theory uh, in Western thought in the Western tradition is what replaced. Um, myths um, in how people sought to explain um, uh, phenomena in the world. Now, of course, we're not, we're setting aside here for a minute um, the God's revelation to his people, Israel. Uh, we're now talking about how th- the idea of uh, theorem, theory, uh, theoria, or whatever it is, uh, arose within the context of Greece basically and um, if we if we think about it this way um, a theory is an attempt to explain how and why something happens and what happened in Greek thought was that um, mythical explanations um, were replaced by theoretical ones um, so, for example, certain things were explained as conflicts between the gods, um, even how human beings uh, arose, uh, social relationships between gods and goddesses, and so on and so forth, were used as a kind of explanation for certain phenomena. So, um, Thales in uh, 600 BC was probably, as far as far as we know, the first philosopher to propose um, a theory um, uh, about everything. And um, in fact, we're still obsessed with this idea because there's actually a movie just been made called The Theory of Everything about mm. Stephen Hawking's. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Thales 
Thales, he said that, and in some respects you could say philosophy began with this, everything is water. Everything is water. Uh, and um, that sounds like, what? What kind of a, uh, a twerp was this fellow? <laughs> um, but when you think about the fact that you know, you're looking at these people are looking at the oceans, they're looking at rain and the rivers and the estuaries, and he's looking at steam uh, coming off of the ocean or off of the lake and rising in a, in a, in a vapor. And then you're thinking about ice as well. And these are all different arrangements, it seems, of water. It's not hard to see how somebody could then conclude, well, maybe you know, rocks and trees and animals and people are just different arrangements of water, just as clouds and sea and rivers and so forth. And of course, we know that somewhere in the region of 70% of the human body is water. Um, so, so this- he, he was on to something. He was on to something. I mean, let's be fair to the guy. He was, you know, in, and, and uh, you know, this is the, the, this is the you know, the, the human mind in a certain sense trying to fulfill the dominion mandate to distinguish and identify and, and um, describe yep. certain things. And then, of course, you had earth, fire and water where it became yep. other famously other explanations of what everything is. What's the what's the string? What's the string for all these? Is it water? Is it earth? Is it fire? Et cetera, et cetera. And then along came a guy called Democritus later on and actually came up with what sounds fairly modern, which was when everything is atoms. Mm -hmm. tiny particles mm -hmm. uh, we of course now know that atoms can't be the most basic thing because atoms are destructible uh, and so we don't know that the the, 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 the the physicist would say we don't know what yeah. is the string uh, it's um it's it's a mystery uh, we would say as Christians yeah we we do know right um, and it isn't atoms uh, and it isn't the physical uh, you know aspect so that the, the, the idea of a theory is that it's an explaining some phenomena. And there was a move in philosophy in Greece from using uh, mythical explanations of things to um, theories. Now, to give, a, to, give a, to give an example, let's think about the phenomena of thunder and lightning. So um, the early Greeks thought that lightning was a weapon of Zeus. And so when they saw lightning, there was conflict. There was uh, conflict going on. Athena used thunderbolts. So thunder and lightning were uh, accounted for, explained by the activities of the gods, and therefore places that were struck by lightning were considered sacred, which is very interesting. That becomes a religious site. It's been struck mm. by lightning. One of the gods has struck it. Um, that's in Greek thought. In Norse mythology... Uh, which is very popular today with, with the movies. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've got Thor as the god of, of thunder, and sound comes, that sound of thunder, those peals of thunder are the sound of his chariot in the sky that you can't see. And um, lightning comes from his hammer. So there you have a mythical explanation about how and why something happens. And actually, we begin to see in other episodes why it was within the lap of Christianity, actually, that we started to get the emergence of modern science, which abandoned this kind of mythic explanation of of how things happened. So um, so you could say, OK, we've got this phenomena of lightning and we've got somebody's observing dark clouds, uh, maybe some peals of thunder, some rain clouds, some rain. What else is needed for there to be lightning. What's the explanation? Well, the mythical explanation is going to be, it's Thor. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's Thor's hammer. Um, a more modern explanation is going to be, well, there's electrical charges that are being caused by frozen, ra uh, frozen rain bumping into each other, uh, causing an electrical charge. And there's a positive charge then that builds up on the ground um, beneath the cloud and <laughs> clap of lightning. Um, Which is no less amazing, really. <laughs> no, no. And in fact, it's still a theory. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's a different form of explanation. We would say that that theory is better than Thor's hammer, but we'd have to have a deeper discussion about why we would say that theory there is better than the mythological explanation. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the issue there is, a theory is a hypothesis about what makes everything 
hang together? And that's the question that philosophy is uh, is fundamentally asking. Um, Where a theory is trying to fill in the gaps between here's a phenomena, here's why it's happening, and a philosophy which is dealing with how everything hangs together is going to have a profound effect on what you put in the space there. You know, uh, f- frozen rain bumping into each other or Thor's hammer causing the lightning, right? Yeah. So your, your, your philosophy, which we'll see is next, next episode is rooted in a religious worldview mm. um, because it's being determined by which of those beads you are going to use to, or if any, you're going to use to try and explain all the rest as their origin and what makes them all hang together. Your th- any theory in any field, in any of those areas we've just talked about, those 15 areas, is going to be profoundly affected in terms of the, the conclusion you, you reach in a theory. What's, what do you fill in the gap between here's thunder and lightning, here's why it happens? Uh, that conclusion is going to be affected by your philosophy, how it all hangs together. And that philosophy is going to be determined by its religious root. Mm. What is the string mm-hmm. that hangs everything together? So in that sense, philosophy is like a boundary science because it isn't revelation from God, but it makes a choice with respect to the religious origin. It makes a religious choice, I should say, with respect to the origin. Philosophy must do that. As, a, as mm. this boundary science, all philosophies, every single one of them, makes a religious choice about the origin, about the string. That's a religious choice. And that choice in philosophy is going to have a profound effect on theory. And that's why there is a Christian view of everything. That's why you can think Christianly. Maybe next week we can get into some more of the details about how specifically religious belief, what is religious belief, how can we define that, and how does it begin to affect theories. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to picking up that question of religion, religious belief, religious commitments. That'll be uh, where we pick up next week. Thanks, uh, both of you, for being here. I've really enjoyed this time. Thank you all for listening. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute, also found on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app as of this week. We remind you, as always, that from him... And through him and to him are all things. That's the string. There, That's the string. In him, that all things hold together. Mm. I think Amen. is uh, another uh, section of that same passage. Right. To, go, to God be the glory. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Every year about this time.